This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Katie Says Podcast, where movement geek Danny Hemmett joins biomechanist Katie Bowen, author of Move Your DNA, for discussions on body mechanics, movement nutrition, natural movement, and how movement can be the solution to modern ailments we all experience. Woohoo! <laughs> Let's hear it for the intro! <laughs> That's good. Did you change it up? No, you no. didn't. That's okay. It's still good. It's verbatim. <laughs> word know, for I... word. I think we I think we have it down pat now. Maybe we need to change it. Maybe. Let's do that. Let's just say Danny Hammett, author of Move Your Day. We'll just kind of mix it up just a little bit. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Key pieces. <laughs> See exactly. if anybody's paying attention right, to right. us. Well, today is the Food Forces episode. Luke. And I'm so excited because we all eat. And when we eat for better health, usually most of the time we're thinking like, well, I need more vitamin D and fiber and, and the good fats. I need the good fats and, and stuff like that. But there's more to food forces than that, right? It's not just about eating the vitamins. There's more stuff. Yeah. I guess I like to say there, there is more nutrition. Like if we talk about nutritious movement, like we have this idea of mechanical nutrients. So there are nutrients, beneficial inputs that can be organically innate or are organically innate to eating specifically a natural diet. So the, like food as you find in nature, which we'll, we'll talk about. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are lots of movements. Or if we just want to talk about movements, we can talk about forces because it makes a nice alliteration with food forces. But it's really <laughs> food takes a lot more movement it can we've outsourced quite a bit of the mechanical nutrition found mm-hmm. in food mechanical nutrition yeah yeah mechanical so, nutrition so like our food has become not as mechanically nutritious as it once was wow i know chew on that everybody ah, and the puns begin so I, I was thinking of all the all the things to cover in this one, there's a lot. So, you know, there's breast. I don't know how much we can talk about breastfeeding today, but like breastfeeding being this big phase of mechanical nutrition. Yeah. Well, it's mechanical nutrition. I mean, it's not just, it's not just the breast milk. It's how, what the baby is doing movement wise to get the breast milk. How bottle feeding is different than breastfeeding mechanically. And then we go on to later years, chewing the food, right? We don't like hardly like a baby food is what? It's just like soft mush in a bottle. And and then we all kind of steam or cook or blend or we're using some sort of electricity or device or buying food already. Basically, mechanically digested not digested, it's mechanically processed so that you don't have to do the physical labor with your body, either your arms or your legs. That's important too. That's part of food processing, but also with your job more specifically. Like I think that we're going to have to focus the show on something 
So let's leave out. Um, let me just put this idea out there. Okay. Most of the food that you eat has been gotten and prepared for you by the physical labor of someone else. Stooping, bending, picking, growing. We got that. But then mashing, cooking, back before skinning. all. Skinning. Yes. I mean, skinning, rubbing vigorously, soaking, you know, that all of these things. Like if you've ever even, if you're doing a little bit of homesteading, you know, you're getting used to maybe like you're grinding your own coffee at a mill or whatever. Like so much of the food, if you just over the next day or so pay attention to what you're eating, you're going to see that it's coming. It's been mechanically processed either by another person to some extent or by a machine operated by another person. And so all of those are outsourcings of movement that you've done that has been done for you so that you can get the chemical compounds. But this show, my larger message is that movement is so tied up with food that we've completely separated those things. Like now you just buy minerals in a bottle. You can drive Mm -hmm. to the store to get a plastic bottle of just supplements. You know, like there's just, there's nothing about that. That's, there's no more naturalness. There's no more natural relationship. Like the, or the ecology of movement and food has been um, significantly broken. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so setting aside all the arms and legs and muscles and bending and all that other stuff, you know, I've written posts on that before. You can mm-hmm. check those out. Let's just talk about, I guess, the food getting in your mouth and exiting your body. <laughs> we'll, just, <laughs> let's talk about, we'll talk about that. We'll narrow it down to that. So, so chewing. Chewing. You know, chewing is, let's talk about chewing. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, I have a personal anecdote about chewing. Tell me. Uh, <laughs> So as you know, we talked about earlier or late last year, I wanted to go see an Ayurvedic practitioner. So I did in January and she told me all sorts of very interesting things. But the most important thing that she impressed was the most important was chew your food. I'm like, yeah, I do. And she's like, no, you have to chew your food like till it's like liquid paste. Well, okay, that takes forever. (laughs) But <laughs> you're like, all but, this movement, all this movement, all this movement. And I came from a family where everybody really wolfed their food mm. down. You know, we mm-hmm. ate so quickly. I really had to concentrate and it took a couple weeks to get into the, the grind of it. <laughs> but uh, it's crazy since I started chewing my food. Like it takes me forever to finish a meal. I'm like the old person at the table. I'm just chewing and chewing and chewing. I have lost 16 pounds since mid-January. Just freaking chewing my food. I mean, it all starts in the mouth. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely start there. I guess if you want to make that your starting point, but yes, I think that that can work for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, gosh, this is going off the forces thing, but just, just the idea that, you know, the time from eating, consuming food for satiation to kick in type thing if you just slow down, my dad used to, he chose everything. He's just a, a naturally kind of lean, non-overeater. Mm-hmm. He has no food, anything issues at all. And he's just always like, oh, you chew every bite 20 times. This is what he does. Yeah. He is like, I mean, he is literally the 89-year-old man at the table. Like he's the old man at the table, but he's, he was like that when he was 50 and 60. He just, mm-hmm. he just chews. I read this really great paper on 
leaves, the breakdown of leaves. And so a leaf, a leaf, there's no V in leaf. <laughs> a leaf <laughs> is made of, you know, plant cells. So you've got, you know, this cellulose wall around the nutrients are on the inside of just a insoluble fiber. And I apologize to any chemist out there for like trying to explain chemistry, but <laughs> from the mechanical perspective, they were saying that a, like a giraffe grabbing a handful of, I'm, I'm sorry, a mouthful of leaves off of a tree. Right. So, and it's just, it's like slowly breaking them down. The amount by which you can break down a leaf is going to be dependent on your jaw size. So a giraffe mm-hmm. is only going to extract the nutrients from the leaf really where they're able to saw through the walls with their teeth, where they were looking at a bug. I'm just making up a bug because I can't remember, like say a caterpillar, the caterpillar's jaws are so small. It's working through every single cell. It's just, it's, it was like, it was a difference wow. between eating a box filled with cornflakes and just getting the eating the box or mm-hmm. or every or eating a box around every single cornflake and that's what a bug is doing that mechanically the bug is going to get it'll get less total volume of the leaf but it can get more nutrition from that leaf because it's just slowly mowing through every single cell because it's jaws or so. I mean, I was just like, interesting. Yeah, it was. And I, I was also reading some other place, not an academic journal about this idea that humans, you know, we're different than cattle. We're not grazing through tons of greens and just breaking them all down and, and masticating and masticating. So we use a blender to be able to get more, Mm-hmm. nutrients because the blender is breaking down all of that cell wall yeah. for us. But then I was thinking, I wonder how, you know, we, we did used to masticate an, a lot more than we do now. You know what I mean? Like that, right. that chewing your food. Well, because it just used to be less, less processing, less cooking. Yes. And the diet know. was different. The diet yeah. was different, you know, over a human timeline. And then I guess, outside of what are now modern humans, you know, their diet must've been radically different and you were just physically chewing more and more often and Mm -hmm. you didn't have the abundance of food. So maybe chewing your food well had to do more with extracting more from it. So anyway, that's a good question for a biochemist, I guess. Yeah. There's a a new series on Netflix by Michael Pollan, the guy Mm -hmm. that wrote the omnivores dilemma Mm -hmm. and it's called cooked. And so he explores our relationship with, you know, procuring food and things like that. And Mm. He was interviewing a primatologist who spent a day trying to eat like a gorilla eats. And he was just like, I, you know, you chew, you're chewing all day long yeah. because the stuff that they're eating, they're just, that's all they're doing. He couldn't even keep up with it. You know, he couldn't get enough for his own nutrition and his, his face got tired. Well, but I mean, also, but we, again, it's like walking barefoot for the first time <laughs> you're it's right. like the equivalent to wearing shoes your entire life on your feet you've got these weak atrophy feet your face is just weak atrophy like your mm. face shape is not the shape it would have been had you breastfed a particular way not just breastfed or drank breast milk but there's a very specific frequency to breastfeeding that's different than how again we do it in in more western cultures where you're just doing it, you know, every hour, like you're breastfeeding extremely frequently, but for shorter durations. So 
the distribution of loads is different. So all breastfeeding, breastfeeding is a category with a wide variance of mechanical inputs. And then also for a much longer period of time, you know, not six months, but, you know, multiple years and sometimes as upwards as, I don't know, five years in some places. And then also, again, chewing the food, chewing food for longer because it's not all broken down for you. So Mm -hmm. lots of, lots of weaknesses in the jaw and the face and the tongue because it's not used for anything. Right. And then also let's move on to tongue. Let's talk about the tongue, I guess, just because we could just keep talking about chewing. We should just, we have chewed, we should have chewed gums this entire Podcast. Oh, that would sound awesome. Everybody would just love that. We'd get like a one star rating. Yeah. It's like, this is the worst thing I've ever had to listen to. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> so tongue, tongue. All right. Tongue. Let's talk tongue then. So it's made for more than just French kissing and sticking out at cranky people. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, what the, the tongue, the tonga, what does the tonga do? <laughs> what else, what else is there to do with your tongue? I know. So the tongue is really a group of muscles, eight, I think it's eight muscles, and there's intrinsic and extrinsic muscles, but the muscles are attaching, they're attaching to lots of other structures, bony structures in the skull, your palate, your throat, like all of that's connected. And so the tongue is, I mean, it's part of the eating process it's also, gosh, it's, it's part of, it's part of keeping you safe. It's really like a safety mechanism. So I, I feel I like, so. well, I feel like again, with everything to do with oral motor and eating, we go back to that earliest, earliest phase. So breastfeeding. So here's a difference for those of you who are interested, the difference between breast feeding at the breast and feeding at a bottle. You're not actually sucking. I think a lot of people think you're just sucking milk. But if you've ever, have you milked a cow before or milked anything? You milked a cat? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> milk a cat. Yeah. Where you kind of just you like work it. You work it. Down. You're working it, right? Like you are, right. you're, you're drawing the milk down and it's, it's like this rolling mechanism. So when mm-hmm. infants are nursing, they are working their tongues quite hard to, to massage or bring the milk down. And it's, you know, it's, it's swallowing, but the tongue is actually working hard to get the milk to come from the breast through the nipple. When you're bottle feeding, the milk's just pouring out. So the tongue doesn't have to work. And so that's why when you are, when an infant is bottle feeding, why it's difficult to go back to breastfeeding is because they've experienced getting milk essentially for free. So they're like, why buy the cow? Why do I have to, why do I have to do all this work when all I have to do is use my tongue to stop the flow of milk? Like they'll hold their tongue and they'll just move their tongue to let the, let the milk come into their mouths. So it's a significant difference of work, even though they're both breast milk, one is easy, one is hard. So human nature, no, I want to go for the easy one. So it's difficult to get kids to work for it once they've experienced not working for it, like all of us and everything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so it's a quite natural reflex. 
So also another thing is, you know, kids will put everything into their mouth all the time. I'm talking about uh, babies. Like one way of exploring is by putting everything in their mouth, but they're not just putting it in their mouth. They are strengthening their tongue around various textures to have the strength for that particular texture. So it's very similar to, gosh, I could, it's like whole body barefoot when you talk about texture walking and how the mobility of your feet is the only way that the mobility of the feet is challenged well is by walking over lots of different textures. Every texture is a different shape for the foot to assume, right? Right. Same with the tongue. Everything that you put in the mouth with a different texture is a different shape for the tongue to assume. And so as babies, they're not just putting things in their mouth. They're cross-training their tongue. They're cross-training their entire mouth to be sensitive for all different textures. That's pretty cool. Because their ability to get something out of their mouth and cough and get it out of their mouth, their ability to safely negotiate and have autonomous ability to not choke depends on them putting lots of things on their mouth. Like that's the weird paradox is you have to let kids put things in their mouths in order to get them to a state in which they are able to get things out of their mouths forcefully and well. So there is a, you know, the whole, don't let your kids put anything in their mouths. And so kids have very low oral motor abilities to, and then eventually they can come into, I, my, my best friend is a a speech pathologist and she deals with all these things. So I've taken some of her clinics and, and followed her around with lots of these, like I've done these different feeding workshops where you have to let other people feed you just to realize how horrible it is to have like other people stick things in your face. Like get that out of my face. I have no control of a situation. It's, it's fascinating. I could, wow, I could write I a whole book. about that. I mean, when you sit at a table and have someone else feed you things that they're choosing at a rate that they're choosing, it's very uncomfortable. Like it's, it was eye opening. And that's why I never, eye opening, mouth closing. Exactly. And jaw Mm. clenching. Yeah. Anyway, food forces. So there are a lot of kids who, because they didn't have this phase of putting things in their mouth, they don't have the strength. They can't, when something gets in their mouth accidentally, they don't have the shape and the strengths of the tongue ready to go to flick that thing out or to cough it or, or expel it out because it's just a deconditioned tongue. So that's why a lot of baby toys will come with five or six different textures because every shape that you put in your mouth results in a different shape of this. You know, your tongue is again, like I said, eight muscle. It can, it's re, it's configuring. And if you, mm-hmm eat and watch what your tongue is doing when you're eating. If you're paying attention to it, you'll see that your tongue is just subtly feeling where food needs to go and getting it up to teeth. You know, if you have a sore tooth or a sore tongue, it's very adept at avoiding that and and still processing food without, you know, touching your canker sore or whatever. So it's just like, I, I, I always wow. think of the tongue and the foot as very similar. They, they're similar in function. I mean, their overall function, one's walking, one's eating. But in terms of like, if you can understand how dynamic and fluid the foot is and, and how by responding to texture beneath it, it's able to reposition your entire body for, for safe and effective walking, the tongue is similar to that. Wow. Yeah, it's a hydrostat. The tongue is a hydrostat, which means it's like a, a hydrostat is a particular 
physics principle. It's just, it, it's a solid structure that can become an entirely different shape without really losing or changing its mass. So an elephant's trunk or the way that an octopus, octopuses, I guess not legs, what is it? Tentacles. It's similar to a hydrostat. So it's, it's able to assume many different shapes, but its ability to assume different shapes is related to what it comes into contact with. So lots of bland food, lots of smooth things leaves a a tongue fairly deconditioned to deal with anything else. And then a lot of people will have texture aversions. Mm -hmm. Kids will have texture aversions because they didn't go through this phase of putting, you know, 400 different textures in their mouth. So they're conditioned for like only smooth or whatever. And they're not able to to deal with any other type one. So then if you get feeding therapy, which is another type of like your speech pathologist will do feeding strength. Like that's part of what they're doing is to condition the strength of the tongue to deal with other things. And to give my tongue way more credit than I have been complex creature. It is. Wow. Well, this might be a good place then (laughs) for a movement break, but do you have anything we can do for our face or our jaws or our tongues or our necks? You know, tongue, one of my favorite tongue exercises. Because right now I'm sticking my tongue out at you. You see? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, the tongue, because the tongue is connected to so many other parts of your body, one of the things that I do, I'm like headaches are my thing. Like if I get any sort of issue, it'll always be a headache. But it often comes ironically after doing lots of talking or recording where I'm like thinking and tensing to use my voice and like uh, I get very tense around the throat. So I will actually stretch my throat out by doing different tongue exercises. So I'll take my tongue and I'll stick it as far forward as I can, really trying to pull all the way down in my throat. And then I will fold my tongue back so that it's trying to point back towards my throat. And I'll kind of do it at different angles to the right and to the left, just to stretch out underneath the right side of my tongue or that right side of my throat, and then I'll do that for the left side. So it's kind of a weird, I can't really do it. And talk at the same time, stick your tongue all the way down and out towards the floor, kind of like like a Maori. That's good. So I do that. And we're doing it, and it's weird. This is like kind of like slightly moist sounding radio. <laughs> say that. Oh, sorry. Okay. Not a good word. Okay. Well, thank you. Hmm. Next time I see, I'm going to teach you a little neck massage trick too, but I have to show you. Okay. Okay. We've got, let's see, teeth, chew, tongue, probably facial muscles next, or where do we go next from there? Chewing, right? So chewing, chewing isn't only using your tongue, it's using your jaw. So did you ever watch the little documentary where the guy drank everything? No. Okay, this guy, like, I don't know, he went on a totally, you know, uh, veg and fruit liquid diet and fat, sick, nearly dead. That's what it was, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for like six months or whatever, nine months, they follow him around. And he, all he's doing is drinking his meals. And at the very end, he tries to eat an apple. And the look on his <laughs> face and what his face is doing is hilarious. And I noticed it right away. It's like, he he forgot Like this is, this is, he atrophied, you know, Mm -hmm. that nine months or whatever, just sucking on a straw and drinking his smoothie. Chewing was a tremendous effort for this little apple. I guess we have to kind of condition like you were talking about. It's a muscle. It's a skeletal muscle like everything else. Use it or lose it. And also you have to keep in mind that 
the bones that those muscles are attached to depend on that muscle use in the early years for shape. So in the early in the early years, part of how you are getting your shape is how you are using your body. So, I mean, like there's basic things like we have an issue right now where people's teeth don't fit in their jaw. Why are our jaws too small for our teeth? This is a modern phenomenon. Wow. Is it? That's what orthodontia is. Well, I know, but I just never thought about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that's blowing my mind. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's in move your DNA. You know, we're talking about the fact of your teeth are expressing like in terms of their shape phylogenically, like it's a genetic thing. But your jaw, and your jaw is similar, but your jaw is bone and and it is more adaptable to your behavior than your teeth are. And so if you pair up your teeth that are coming through up their size and a jaw that has muscles that have done no chewing their entire life, then you get a jaw that's too small for your teeth. Wow. Boom. And then whatever the bill is for orthodontia. Luckily, we have, I mean, we have doctors who can deal with it, but basically we have a medical intervention that most people get simply because of... I mean, it's kind of like the nearsightedness eventually. I mean, mm-hmm. because nearsightedness, myopia, you can listen to the myopia show, which is the last show or a couple of shows ago, because it didn't happen in our lifetime. It's like, look at this new crazy thing. Well, we just happened to grow up where everyone that we knew got braces and it was just, it's a normal thing, but it is, it is a huge biological intervention because of something that we're not getting. And so it's just, it's just a lack of, it's a lack of use. And then a lot of people have things like jaw pain and teeth grinding. Mm. These are other things. And I have a hypothesis, which is one of the reasons people are clenching their jaw so much. Yes, it's stress and, you know, it's like a, it's a response to stress, but part of the stress that you're experiencing is huge underused muscles in your face that were, that are really equipped and have a history, not yours, but jaw muscles in general, have a history of being used aggressively through the day who have gone to be not used at all. So it's kind of the same way your legs feel after sitting in a car ride for one or three days. Imagine how your legs would feel after being able to, but not being moved for their entire lives or very minimally. And so for me, when I notice that I clench or grind my teeth a lot, I've actually gone to uh, tea tree oil sticks and I just, I chew, I, I work them a lot because I don't, I don't have to chew my food. I mean, I, I, I eat a lot huh? of raw, I'm, I'm just saying, I guess, oh, not, it. it's not that I don't have to chew my food. I, I am, I'm like you listening. Like I eat a lot of manually processed food. I've switched over to eating lots of things that require lots of mastication, Okay, but I don't think it's anywhere near the norm for your biology. And so all I have to do is get these, these they're like tea tree oil sticks that are made specifically for tooth health, for gum health, for jaw health. So I chew on them. So yes, I get the mastication. It's wood. A lot of, a lot of uh, cultures around the world chew on sticks all day long to keep their teeth healthy from particular trees. I just chew on them. And what it does is it relaxes the muscles of my jaw because they've been exercised and then they relax all night long and then I don't grind my teeth at night. I do it with my kids too. Here's your toothpicks. 
And it is, so you know, we hide they, it. That's what I was going to ask. What's the size of the, because I've seen like it's a tea toothpick. tree oil toothpicks. It's a tea tree. It is a, it is a tea tree oil toothpick. You oh, can, okay. you can probably just do it with anything that's out there, except I don't know all the trees and the right. sticks to know what's <laughs> toxic to chew on or not. So I just go to the store and get tea tree oil sticks because I know that they have been, <laughs> that their safety has been mitigated for, or has been evaluated for me. So we do that a lot. And it probably just when helps you relax your jaw. Yeah, probably when you were a kid, you did, like a lot of us did, and, you know, you're walking home through a field or whatever, and you just grab a bunch of grass. Sour grass. It's, and then yeah, it's really like, hard, and you just chomp and chomp and chomp, and well, it's just like... That's a natural yeah. kid thing, right? Like, that seems yeah. to be a natural kid thing of just picking and chewing it, like, kind of like a cow. You're just you're just constantly wanting to put things in your mouth mm-hmm. and then everyone's like dogs pee on that and I'm like I don't care and like yeah, sour yeah the grass, goal man. isn't the goal isn't to eat it or ingest no. it it's just you're just chewing well yeah. I don't even know what the goal is from I mean I would say that my goal was because I preferred the taste but what I think it is and what it actually is there was a all of the kids in our neighborhood you know 40 kids were all attracted to that same thing of just putting it in their mouth. And I was hiking, gosh, last year when I was in California and I was like, sour grass. And, and, you know, all of us were eating it and chewing it as we were hiking, which all of a sudden makes the hike better. If there's snacks, mm-hmm. dog, <laughs> dog urine covered snacks everywhere you go. And then this other family of, you know, a woman, my age, she was like sour grass. Oh my gosh. We used to chew on this all the time. So that's two different States, two different populations around the same generation, but but people were just kids were just chewing and sticking things in their mm-hmm. mouth and just wanted to be milling. It's like milling. I have a book. I actually wrote this in a, in a, in a, a, a there's a few podcast uh, blog posts I've written about this, but I read a good anatomy book where they broke down the anatomy of the jaw. And it was like, you know, before there were mills that were grinding everything, your mill was your jaws. And so you have the heritage of millage capability that you have in your jaw is just mismatched with what you actually ask it to do, which is almost nothing. So you're, it's just, what do you, you expect to see a density and a shape or which is robusticity of the bone that's inadequate and muscles that are underused and, and red flags in that area to something not being right. Wow. Yeah. I guess just a person could start paying attention, you know, what is the texture, what is the consistency of everything I'm putting in my mouth and start to mix it up just like what you would as transitioning to a minimal shoe or barefoot. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. And then just, just, you know, you don't always have to chop and cook your carrots. Like I just started putting whole vegetables in my kid's lunch. I'm like, here you go. <laughs> so it saves time. <laughs> it saves time. But like, why am I cutting it? I'm cutting it because right. that's what carrot sticks look like. It's like, here's a whole carrot hold it, chew it, break it, see what a carrot looks like. And so there's, again, this is a stacking your life type thing. It's a way of going. A lot of what we do is not really for biological reasons. They're just because it's what it's always been done. So I've, right. I've freed up a lot of my kids. Here's a bowl of oats, chew it. You know, I'm not even going to cook it for you. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't do that. But my dad will say that he prefers raw oats because he grew up as a kid. This was, you know, 90 years ago. Sure. He grew up working on a farm and he chewed oats all day because there was no, there was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was no snacks in between. So he would just pop a couple oats in his mouth. He's like, you would just chew on that for like 20 minutes. And so he too, maybe that's the sour, maybe that's the sour grass of 
the 1930s was oats. <laughs> so it's just, again, you know, it's just a slow, and now we have gum, right? So now people chew gum all day long, but, uh, so maybe chewing is more innate. If there's a whole industry around putting something in your mouth, that's that you're just constantly using your jaw. But well, I don't, I don't know if I use gum as much as I would just use some sort of plant that's out there. That's well, safe just to mix do it, it up, you know, yeah. mix it up, get a toothpick, get a plant, uh, get some oats, have a party. So uh, the worst party ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So what else? Let's see. I'm moving up the head. Okay. What about like head position when you're eating? Like where your your head is on your neck and do you want to go there? Yeah. Well, let's go because, there. Let's go there quickly. Okay. So it's just, I, I was thinking of doing this experiment. So it's, I think it's, it's challenging to get people to buy in, not any of you listening, but to a lot of other people that forces matter when it comes to our physiology. Like it's just such a, I think for some, it's a radical idea of going, you know, why does pelvic tilt matter? Why does it matter? Why does a squatty potty matter? Why are there, why are there positions that allow you to work more easily with the gravitational force where you're not having to like strain or put in additional forces. So I was just thinking of going, well, why doesn't everyone fill their mouth up with a drink and then go hang up, like let their head hang off their bed so you can feel what swallowing uphill feels like. Like that's a real, it's an extreme, but I think, education sometimes has to be put at the extremes to cut through the, it doesn't matter what position I'm in argument. I'm like, okay, well, let's go upside down. Does it matter? Okay. Well, if it matters when you're upside down, let's start considering that it matters in other degrees between being upside down and right side up, that all of it matters. So with the head and neck, what is, what did you call it? Text neck? Yeah. Forward head. Forward head. Yeah. So I learned this in, this was in my undergrad. I took a class in gerontology that one of the, I don't know if it's a top 10 mortality maker in older adults is choking, that they're choking. So bathroom incidents, like, um, like having a cardiac episode on the toilet was one, but choking was another one. So a lot of people lose the ability to swallow. And, you know, the idea is, well, their throat muscles are weak. Yes, that can be the case. I suppose. But also... If you have kinks in your neck, curves in your neck that when you have a hyperkyphosis is when you're, when you have that dowager's hump, it's actually two curves. Your thoracic spine is going forward, but your cervical spine, the neck is going backwards. So it's almost like an, it's like a cur- like a C or an S that you have in your throat. So now the food, you've given extra work to your throat muscles. So one, they could be too weak, but two, you could also be asking them to do a job that they're not really suited to do. I try to avoid using the word designed, but I think if I use the word design, people can kind of resonate around that, which is just, you know, why do you have an S in your throat all the time? If you're chewing and trying to get this food to move down and it's an S and you've got, you know, muscles of a particular strength that really have a range in which they can adapt, you are going to be more likely to choke because you're asking more of your throat than and that musculature than what you should. And so I that think that a lot of sense, I think it's just, you know, if I were, if I were writing the ultimate, I've been actually working on, I, I just want to disclaim this and say that this was a book that was actually been worked on for the last couple of years, which is 
nutritious movement, but applied to older adults because like barefoot walking and things that are like super extreme is just not feasible or the, or the place to start. Like if you have like, I want to give my, you know, my dad or my grandpa some exercises, it's not going to be cobblestone barefoot walking. It's going to be, Hey, did you know you could slide your head back to change the angle of your throat? And when you're eating and you're noticing a difficult time coughing or swallowing, check your head position, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That that's a big one. I, that was one of my first blog posts that I ever wrote years and years. Yes. It's in alignment matters. And I, I took a picture of a straw and I have a picture of a straw that's at a, you know, kind of straight up and down and then I, it's a bendy straw. And then I bent it and I'm going, these are two different physical scenarios. Your musculature works differently. It's, I mean, it's one of the first, maybe 10 blog posts I ever wrote. And I remember this man who was coming to the studio. He's like, I never thought about it. And he was someone who had had cardiac episodes already and was all, I mean, he was older. He was like maybe 70 and retired. And he was like, this is super motivating because he was an engineer. He was like, yes, of course. I never thought that I should be worried about my head position because of basic functions like swallowing. I get it now. And then he was just more motivated because he understood it. So wow. head position, ramp it up, ramp it up. It matters. It matters. Cool. All right. We've chewed, swallowed. It's all smooth sailing from here, right? Got the food in the belly. Yeah. It's just coming out the other end. Yeah, just no problem. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to take the food all the way through. The next set is... Food is in your tubes, but those tubes are in your body. So different things like, you know, pressure is invisible. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. So there are hypertonicity, like too much tension. You can have too much tension in your musculature, which creates kind of chronic high pressure situations. So what happens when you have a tube sitting in a container with too much pressure, that pressure is parlayed onto the, to the tubes that are within mm-hmm. it. So it's just that your digestion is happening within your body. So the state of your body is going to affect it. So things like psoas tension or holding your stomach in all the time or anything in diastasis recti, diastasis recti would probably be the best book to follow this up with. If you're interested in, in your, in going, Oh gosh, I, you know, if you have hernias and digestive problems and diastasis recti and pelvic things, they're not as separate as they seem. No. There's lots of better throw constipation and, con- yeah, and constipation too, right? Like you can hold, you can physically create pressures that can, and if you've ever tried, if you've ever needed to go to the bathroom and held it, you have a data point there where you can stop the downward movement of something with your tension. So when you have lots of tensions that maybe you didn't use to stop your digestive process, but you're using for something else, like holding your stomach flat in all the time or keeping your belly button pulled to your spine all of the time, these are affecting your digestion. They're affecting the forces that would naturally move your food down. You're, you're messing around with that environment a little bit. The body ecology, if you will, is being affected by what you're putting in, by, by what you're adding or sometimes taking away. Right. Right. Like if twisting and all sorts of other motions of the trunk are natural, and you're just sitting at your desk and maybe you're like, my abdomen's relaxed. It's like, okay, well, a relaxed abdomen is one state, but so is dynamic twisting and moving lots of miles and kind of jostling. So, so whole body movement, when I say it's affecting your biology, I mean that the processes, the biological processes of like eating are being affected by how you are moving and how you are not. That Movement is part of the system that gets the food 
to the end spot where you were hopefully now squatting <laughs> to get it all the yes. way up. Because if not, what's the other force? If if you're not squatting and maybe you're also tensing through your gut all the time because you have that tension of holding in your stomach and it's time to go, and you all know what I mean by go, now you're having to Valsalva to help get it out. So you're like, okay, well, I, well it's not coming out. I'm straining. So now you're adding a force. So you have a force maybe other places that shouldn't be there. That's chronic. You don't even really know how you're creating it, but it's happening all the time. And then there is this intermittent thing that you're choosing to do, which is create a force on top of that and push against forces, just trying to get, you know, the foodstuffs out of your gut. There's a lot, there is a lot of mechanics going on with eating from gathering your food to Mm -hmm. pooping it out at the end that are part of your whole body state. And vice versa, your whole body state is also part of how this process works. Yeah, it's pretty cool if you think about it from beginning to end. I think Uh, somebody (laughs) on Facebook posted they were making popcorn and they were actually getting the kernels off Mm -hmm. the cob Mm -hmm. with their own hands. And and it was tough, right? It was hard because they just weren't used to that. But that would just, the way that we acquire our food, like you said, is so, we've outsourced all the movement to get it there. Well, and that's like, so I wrote this blog post a long time ago, not really the paleo diet. And it was just kind of a tongue in cheek going, the (laughs) diet is not only the foods, it's all the nutrients. Like if you just put, if you just put mechanical nutrients in the same category as dietary, it gets pretty clear about how you can make your, your life more nutritious, like by interacting, by interacting more with your food. And I think that's a solution that's kind of missing. It's how do I, how do I do all of these? How do I get my movement in and my food and, and, and also education, you know, about where food comes from. Cause I think a lot of people mm-hmm. listening are interested in that. It's like, get your food a few steps away from how you normally get it. Go, go back a few steps, buy a corn on the cob that's all, already dried and shut and get the corn off yourself. And like now your kids are one step closer to knowing and you, no, I mean, I, I focus right. on kids because it's just where I am right now, but how many people have never actually seen where popcorn comes from? Oh, I'm, I'm sure most of us. I yeah. mean, that's, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of learning opportunities for that. Just like you said, just backing up a few steps just, or one step, just um, one step. Yeah. Yeah. And then it may be fun and you may do more. Who knows? Like, have you throttled an animal yet? Just my kids. Go hunt. Well, that's okay. It's what is it? It's today's March first, so you've got I don't know what nine more months to to take one down <laughs> and pull the last of the Mohicans and run through. I don't the, know what that means. What's that? Knife in what's your the hand? time reference? You you want to hunt? You want to oh, 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 hunt yes. and take down an animal? Yes. Um, well, I ate a. So I ate you're a, like Hawkeye in your buckskin with a knife in your hand. It's close. Leaping through the bush. We tracked. We tracked a lot of animals while we were in Montana. We got a step closer. We've been sl- sleeping cool. outside and and lots of tracking. But no, I haven't. I haven't done that. I did. I did eat an egg the other day that had been partially incubated. I think so. That was one step closer. Well, there you go. Anyway. All right. Well, that's sorry, for all there, the right? vegan listeners. I apologize <laughs> to you right now. Oh. She put a it's all right. It's all right. disclaimer. Anyway, you know what? I'm sitting by the fire. I just want to say that I was just listening to us. There's like a super mellow tone to this podcast. And I am sitting next to the fire. And I wonder if it's the difference between me sitting next to the fire cozy 
on a rainy day versus me standing at my workstation, you know, like getting out this, I, there's a tangible feel. Does it oh, feel possibly. super mellow yellow to you? You do feel kind of mellow. Yeah. yeah. But I figured just cause you, you got off a little retreat too. That could be part of it. I think, I think it just, I'm sitting, I'm sitting kind of in a, a bolstered squat Mm-hmm. And um, also, I'm just feeling super mellow. So I just want to let everyone know if, if we put you to sleep, I feel a little bit like that oh, no. Saturday Night Live. I'm like, good times, good times. <laughs> it's really great. Well, so today, <laughs> before we wrap it up, today is March 1st. This is going to come out on, um, if you're listening to this, it came out on, well, March 15th, I guess, is when it'll come out. But I just want to say, since I probably won't get to talk to you in a few days, you are having a birthday. I am. And you have such a cool birth date considering you're the person that got us all off our keisters and out the door walking your birth date is march 4th march 4th which i'm sure is not lost on you at all nope (laughs) and i just want to say happy birthday my friend yeah big old goofball i love you thank you i love you too and you know what what 40 40 i know are you ever gonna catch up to me never (sighs) only if we go for a walk I will yeah. catch up to you if we go for a walk. <laughs> Do you have anything cool planned? I'm walking 30 miles as an ode to my 30s the day before I turn 40. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I've never walked that before in my life. And it'll, of course, it will be. Is this in one fell swoop? One fell swoop in one day. I'm Wonderful. 30 miles. And I'm, I'm not doing a loop. Everyone's like, do a loop. And I was like, the symbology of going out and coming back <laughs> to the same spot is not lost on me. So I am walking. Kind of what I, as I want to walk, it's probably like a timeline of my life. You know, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to be thinking about each year as I accomplish each mile. So that's I'll probably, so cool. Yeah, I'll probably document it. So if you're on Instagram, you already missed it, but you can follow me there and see. Are some you of the going? Are you going it. solo? No, there's different people joining me at different places. Kind of like also oh, like fun. life. Yeah, oh. I want my kids to be with me on a, a portion of it, and my husband to be with me on a portion of it, and my sister and friends to just all kind of gather at different points. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's also why I like, I got mellow. Like it's been a, it's been an intense week. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to be 40 this week. It's a, it's a good age. Yep. I, I dig my forties a lot. Nothing to fear folks. It's really fun. Well, that's it. I hope, I hope it's a great, have a nice right, walk, honey. <laughs> have, a, have a nice 30 mile walk. <laughs> I will. And I have to say I'm hungry now. That's Okay. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Pull something off a tree and chomp on it. Yeah, sounds good. I'm going to go choose something. I'm going to go choose something. All right. Well, thanks for listening. All right. For more information, books, online classes, et cetera, you can find Katie Bowman at Nutritious. That's her at NutritiousMovement.com. And you can learn more about me, Danny Hemmett, Masticating Movement Warrior at MoveYourBodyBetter.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 